In a day when chaos reigns, at a time when spiritual darkness covers the face of the earth, there is a movement. A groundswell of change is happening. God is being true to his word and keeping his promise. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that standard, and it is being lifted up like a mighty banner of hope for all to see. Men, women, students, and children are all finding life in that banner. The church is waking up. A mighty army is coming together to proclaim truth, righteousness, the forgiveness of sins, and the power of God's word. Jesus is building his church. And in spite of those who try to silence it, shut it down, and stop its work, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. This is a move of the Spirit of God. This is a move to lift high the banner. This is a move of the church. Join the movement. After a week like this past week, it feels good to be together in the movement. Amen? Mm. I just have to comment on uh, Brianna's song. My goodness. Uh, if you don't know, that's uh, mine and Heather's oldest daughter. And uh, I can just relate to John writing in the New Testament when he says, I have no greater joy than knowing my children walk in truth. Whew. To see that to see God work in your children's life and him to use them, I'm telling you, there's just no greater joy. Amen? Hey, that, that's going to fit in today. God, God always has a purpose for all things, and even just that. So I'm sure everybody in this room at some point watched The Wizard of Oz. If you're as old as me, you've watched it many times. And you know what happens after Dorothy has been in the storm, the tornado has come, it has taken her house from the place that was the place of security and stability, the place that she knew of as home, the place where she knew family, the place where she knew there was routine, and the storm uprooted all of that, changed all of that. The house lands, and she's disoriented, but she gets up and she walks out into this new place. Everything's different. Back then, the producers uh, used the imagery from going from black and white to color in that moment to help portray this difference. And Dorothy's first words that she says to her dog Toto in that moment is, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. This does not look at all like what I remember it being, right? It seems like every day that I wake up recently and I look at the news, not on TV because I'm not watching that stuff anymore, but if I'm flipping and scrolling, whatever it is, and I hear reports, I say, that's not the laws that I remember. 
That's not the government I remember. That's not the history I remember. And I say to myself and to my family, I don't think we're in America anymore. Amen? Hey, this does not look like it used to. This is not what it used to be. And there are forces at work attempting to completely destroy our Christian heritage and God's purpose for us, I believe. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, this sounds way too political, too much for me already, you're gonna be real uncomfortable today. <laughs> Sorry, because I will say this, this is not a political rally, this is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen, Amen. it is, amen. And Jesus has a lot to say about all of life, including freedom, liberty, and government. So if you came for that, and to hear the gospel, and to hear how to live out the gospel in our lives, including in our day-to-day, welcome. I'm glad you're here. There's a, there's a force at work today and it seems like the line in the sand is being drawn deeper than it ever has before. And I remember hearing Christians in some years past saying, well, you know, we gotta be careful. This isn't the time to you know, circle up the wagons and rally the troops and all that kind of stuff. And I think it is that day right now. This is the day of decision. This is pick a side. This is choose you this day. This is no longer, can't we all just get along? No, because I cannot get along with someone else who wants me to reject my God and bow down to their God. I can't get along with that, amen? The line is being drawn in the sand between a land that once stood for liberty and a land today that seems to be rushing to the place of socialism and communism. The line is being drawn between what used to be a government that protected our freedoms to a government that's now restricting our freedoms. A line is being drawn between a government that used to incentivize hard work, private ownership, to today a government that's incentivizing dependence upon itself and moral depravity. A line is even happening in the realm of the church today, in our land. You can no longer assume that most churches believe the same. They might have a set of doctrine that they hold up that all looks similar, but if you listen to the messages, you get into the storyline that they are telling, there is a line being drawn today because there are churches, even today, who are accepting the gods of this age and are saying you should reject your birth gender, churches accepting this, churches accepting that marriage is no longer just for a man and woman, churches accepting the the loss of the role of a man and a woman being unique and separate and designed by God. Churches losing the standard of holding up God's word 
as infallible truth and instead saying, well, you can't really believe all of that. I mean, it was written by men after all. No, it was written by God-inspired men that God moved through that we might have his holy word today. Churches today that are buying into the woke philosophies of social justice. Churches today that are buying into the distortions of racial tension and relations. That are buying into the social equity over social equality and truth and justice. And the church is buying into what I believe is perhaps the most dangerous lie that the church today ought to be taking a more passive role in just stepping back and saying, let's just love one another. Let's just all get along. Look, God has called us to be a voice in our nation. Wherever he puts his people, he intends for us to shine. Wherever he puts his church, he intends for us to speak out. And that means speaking out against injustice, speaking out against sin, speaking out against wrong belief, wrong doctrine, and false ideologies. And the church must stand in that today. This is a different day. Amen? This is not the day to run and hide. This is not the day to just stand idly by. This is our time to speak out, to stand up, to understand what God is doing and join him in that movement because God is at work today. He has a purpose. You and I did not arrive on the scene in 2021 by accident. You and I are here by purpose, for a design, for an intention, by God. You have been born again, placed in a church, and you showed up this morning for a holy purpose. Amen. Amen. Let's stand in that. Let's join him in his work. We started this series last week called Join the Movement. And I want to look at a few principles that we saw last week and then build on them today. The first principle we saw last week was this, that when God moves on the earth, he always moves through his gathered people first. Whenever God sets out to do something, he always does so through his own people first. Even when judgment begins, it begins in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yes. So we have to recognize that and accept that. When he starts something, he starts in his people. He starts in us. So it's up to us to be attentive to hear what he says. The second truth we saw last week is when God moves through his people, he calls them to a holy allegiance to him, to him only. He calls us to not bow down to other gods. He says, be holy as I am holy. If we're going to be God's people and join him in his movement, then we have to separate ourselves. We have to come out from among them. We have to be different. We can't follow their gods we can't worship our God and their gods. We have to worship our God only. Amen? This is what he calls us to. If I could get the back screen up, that would be awesome. Just, sorry, tech crew. Uh, the third point that I want us to build on today is this. Is that God moves when his people rise up into their calling with boldness and faith. This is when God moves. And if we want to see God move, 
And if we want to walk in that movement, then you and I have to be the ones who stand up into that. We have to gather with that kind of faith and boldness and vision. We have to have that kind of purpose and foresight to believe what he's doing and separate ourselves and move with him. Amen? So our message today is called this, Gathered We Stand. Amen? Turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3, 15. We're going to look at one verse today. One verse. And the Word of God is powerful, and it can speak through one verse. Amen? So 1 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul, the Christian uh, church builder leader of the New Testament. And he is traveling around planting churches with believers like you and I. And as he plants these churches, he, he helps pastors get established in those churches. And the young man, Timothy, is one of those pastors. And so Paul writes to Timothy to give him some encouragement because young pastors need some encouragement, especially in Timothy's day. Timothy was dealing with a situation where the church was not the home team in his day. He was a minority. He was looked down on. They were smaller in number. They were persecuted. They were from Jesus Christ, and they were not well accepted. Timothy lived at a time when their church was facing pressure, persecution, and opposition, and they needed help knowing how to navigate these days. So Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him a word of instruction. 1 Timothy 3, 15 says this, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Here in this one verse, Paul gives Timothy three pictures about the church that would help him in his day and they're meant to help us in our day because we are no longer the home team in our own land, amen? We are not the one whose banner is waving high anymore as believers. We are the visiting team. We are smaller in number. Our school song doesn't get played as much. And so we need some help in our day to remember who we are, to remember what we've been called to so that we can join God in the movement that he is all about. So let's drill down into this because these three pictures show up in this verse here. The first picture that we see Paul giving to Timothy, he says, he refers to the church as the house of God. I love what Paul does here because what he's gonna use is some architectural terms. My background before going into ministry was architecture. So this all speaks to me. I can understand this. I can relate to this. I think we all can in some ways because he says here, the house of God. Now, the word house here is actually the word for a home. It's like your residence. It's your place where you live. It's the place that you've collected your furniture for. It's the place that you're comfortable in. It's the place where your family is. It's a place that you cook your meals. You've got your stuff. It's your place. It's where you hang out. It's where you are. And Paul says to Timothy, you know, when the church is gathered together, that is the house of God. Now, 
I've, I've often said here even that this is not the house of God, that God doesn't live somewhere in a room here on these physical facilities. And that's true, amen? Except for the days that believers gather in the room, and when believers gather in the room, it becomes the house of God. It's true, did you know that? It's true. You individually have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are complete in him, with him complete in you. But when we all get together, and we're all here with the Spirit of God in us, we become in that moment the house of God, the place he's comfortable, the place he shows up, the place that is his. Can you believe that? That God would say to us, redeemed sinners, people who are weak, people who are dependent upon him, people who are finite, that the infinite God who has always existed and always will exist, the one who created all things would look at us and say, you know, of all the places that I'm most comfortable and at home is in my people when they're gathered together. Can you believe that? What an overwhelming and humbling thought that God is comfortable and at home right now, right here. That song we sang earlier, you inhabit the praises of your people, it's exactly what this is talking about. That God shows up when his family is doing family stuff. Amen? He shows up and he says, church, you are the house of God. Don't ever take that lightly. He calls us a place. And this just drills home a truth that we've got to take in today. That being gathered is essential for the church to experience the power of God. When you and I are gathered together like this, he shows up differently. He does. I can be at home and I can pray and he hears me. I can remember promises and he encourages me. But there's something else that happens when I get together with other believers, amen? And they're coming in in their faith, in their worship, in their time of need, in their confidence and all their belief in him. And when we're all gathered together, there's a different sense of God being present, right? That's why we do this. We're not just here fulfilling some religious duty. We are here gathered because scripture mandates that and we are gathered because God blesses that and God shows up in a different way when we are all gathered together. Amen? He does. And that's why it's important that we gather together. It's a biblical mandate for us. It's because the power of God shows up in that moment. That's why it was so difficult whenever mandates began to come out that said churches could not gather. And I understand there may be times when because of whatever the issues might be. That there might need to be concerns. But I'll say this. If I had to replay the events of this last year or so over again, I would rethink whether or not 
we would have not gathered here on a Sunday. Now look, anybody is free to do what you want to do. You came here this morning by your own will. No one guilted you into coming here this morning. No one forced you. That is freedom and liberty. Do what you believe you ought to do. But the church is called to gather. Amen? It's a mandate bigger than just something that man dictates. It's what God dictates. And there's, there's a move today to stop the church from gathering, not just in our own land, but even in our neighboring land. I don't know if you keep up with what's happening in Canada right now, where churches are being told to not meet, where in June of this past year, Tim Stevens pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary was tracked by helicopters because he and some of the believers had gathered outdoors in a secluded place because the government had said they could not meet together and because they were out gathered somewhere Helicopters found him and they came and arrested him and put him in prison because they gathered together as the church outdoors. It's time we be aware of what's happening. A little bit further away, but still within the reach of our planet, on our own planet Earth, in Afghanistan today, where there's believed that there are 38 million people in population, the Christian population of that 38 million is believed to be about 1,000. And they are being executed and removed as they are found. There is a move to silence the church today, the gathered church and we must, must continue to meet together because this is where the power of God shows up in a different way. Amen? This is where we find our hope. This is where we find our stability. This is where we increase our faith. This is where we encourage one another daily, as it says in the book of Hebrews. This is our mandate. But the church has a second name in this passage. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, which is... The church of the living God. So we are the house of God, but we are the church of the living God. Paul's not stuttering. Paul's very articulate. Paul's very intentional. So he chose house of God on purpose, but he also chose this phrase on purpose. And as we understand the words, we'll understand his purpose. The word church means called out ones. The ones who have been called out from among the world, called out from their past, called out from their sin. So we are the church. We are the called out ones who gather out of our calling. But he says we are the called out ones of the living God. Interesting that this is the term he uses. The called out ones from the living God. The God who is alive today who is active today, who has purpose today. He's not just a God of the 
day that the Bible was written, of the New Testament or Old Testament, he's not just the God of the 1800s or the 1930s or whatever year, decade you want to pick. He is the living God who is alive today in the same way he was in the beginning, in the same way he will be forever. That God is alive today. Amen? And by calling us the called out ones of the living God, he is saying your ability to be distinct and separate from the world will show everyone that God is still on his throne today. That he is still changing lives, that he is still taking broken lives and redeeming them, that he is still taking marriages that were hopeless and reviving them, that he is still taking minds that have been ravaged by lies and renewing them. He is still making all things new because he is the living God. Amen? And we are the church of the living God. The way we show he's alive is by showing our distinctiveness, our uniqueness. We're not like the world We're not like our past. We're not like who we are just by ourselves. We are part of what God has done. He has transformed us. He has remade us. He is dwelling in us. And we are the church of the living God. Our second big truth with that this morning is this, that being separate is essential for the reality and power of God to be seen. You and I can't bow to the gods of this day and still hope to make an impact through our testimony. Your testimony has power when your life is distinct from the world around you. I get it that we want to fit in, blend in. We want to try to build bridges and relationships, and we should. But your way to build bridges is not trying to be like the world. Your way to build bridges is through compassion and grace while maintaining personal righteousness and integrity and holiness in your life. Don't try to blend in. Don't drink what they drink, eat what they eat, go where they go, do what they do. The uniqueness of the gospel is when someone looks at a person's life and says, you're not like me. Tell me about your life. If you look like them, they'll never ask what's unique about you. We are called to be separate, to be unique, to be distinctive, to be holy, to be righteous. We are the called out ones of the living God. Amen? But the third picture that Paul gives is where I want to camp out a little bit this morning. Because he says to Timothy, the church is also the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul's using again some architectural terms here. Pillar, you and I can relate with. We don't have a lot of pillars in our home anymore, and I'm not talking about the ones on your bed. I'm talking about, you know, at the front of a house, a building, those large columns that hold up the building, okay? Some of our houses have them in the front. We've all converted them to cedar posts, most likely. Uh, You know, at our house, we've done that. Uh, It had these little old-style columns before that. Um, So uh, the word pillar is used here. 
but he also uses the word ground. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing because it's translated ground. Um, some, some versions actually have the word buttress right here. And you're like, what the? Yeah, buttress. So it's another architectural term. It is a, a wall support that went up kind of like a column, but it wasn't round. It was usually uh, like a wall, and it had a piece at the top that held up another wall. It was a, a buttress. Uh, it held up the wall. It's actually the word here for a wall. So you could say the pillar and the walls of truth. Now, it's interesting because uh, truth is the foundation. Truth is the basis. Truth is the horizontal piece. Like when you, if a house is being built, they pour the slab. And the slab is the foundational piece that you pray doesn't move when the wind and the rains come, right? It's tough here in Texas because of soil conditions. Sometimes that slab will crack and move. You know what I'm talking about? Every once in a while you gotta readjust those doors in your house because like, hey, this door won't close. <laughs> it's because their foundation wasn't built properly. Yeah, another message. So the foundation is the horizontal piece. But he says the church, you're not the truth, but you are the pillar and the walls of truth. The slab is the foundational horizontal piece. The pillars and the walls are the vertical pieces. How about that? <laughs> vertical, who would have thought? They are the vertical pieces that bring the foundation plan to life. They're the vertical components that cause everybody to say, oh, I see it. It's a big house. I see it. It's a big building. I get it. I see the pillars that are holding up the building. I see the pillars that are holding up the ceiling. The pillars and the walls, they define the building. They are the pillars and the walls of truth. That's what our calling is. And if a church wants to be part of the move of God in any generation, then it has to accept its calling that you and I are called to be pillars and walls of truth. We have to stand in truth. We have to proclaim truth. Now what's fascinating to me as a student of architecture again is that when Paul wrote these words to Timothy, he was in a city named Ephesus. Yes, it sounds like Ephesians because Ephesians was written to the believers in Ephesus. In Ephesus was a building that everybody would have known the minute Paul said pillar and walls of truth, everybody would have instantly thought of this building. It was called the Temple of Artemis. This was in Ephesus at the time that Paul wrote these words to Timothy. Do you see why Paul might have said, church, you are the pillar and the walls of truth because this building is full of pillars, right? In fact, it was a building that was 425 feet by 225 feet. So that's about a football field and a half long. It had 127 columns in it, or pillars. 
They were 40 feet tall. The building was 60 feet tall. It was made entirely out of marble. It was an elaborate building built to the goddess Diana where they offered sacrifices to her because she was the goddess of the hunt and the moon and childbirth. And if you wanted any of those things to go well, you had to bring sacrifices to her because she was generally mad until you did. And she would not make things go well for you if you didn't bring her sacrifices. What's fascinating to me is that as elaborate, large, and strong as they built this building, it was eventually destroyed. It all came tumbling down. They rebuilt it in a neighboring city, a smaller version, and that one came tumbling down. They built a third version of it, even smaller, and that one, too, came tumbling down. None of those buildings exist today, only replicas and pieces of them. And I have to think to myself, Paul says that we are the pillar and the ground of truth, but there's some things that are very different about us and this temple of Artemis. Because you and I are part of a, a building built with living stones, not earthly stones that can crumble and fall. You and I are built not for a God who is angry, but by a God who has satisfied himself through the death of his son and made us part of his body. Amen? And you and I are part of a house of God, the church of the living God, that though the gates of hell themselves, if they were to have the power to stop us, they could not because Jesus reigns over all. Amen? This church is unstoppable. But this is what Paul would have been referencing, which brings us to our third truth today, that declaring truth is a mandate that gives the church its greatest purpose. This is part of who we are today. I don't fall for the storyline that says, well, we just need to be loving and supportive all during this day and this time. Look, I want to be graceful. I want to show compassion. But I also am commanded as the church to speak the truth. Nobody repents of their sin until they know they're a sinner. Hello? Nobody leaves the life that they've been living until they realize the life that they've been living is running in the opposite direction of God. Nobody turns from the way they've been living until they recognize that that way is going to lead them straight to hell. Until they know that, they can't turn and ask, what is the hope within you? And what is this gospel you believe? Only when you recognize you have sinned do you turn to hopefully repent of that sin. Amen? So the church is called to be the one who speaks truth. The pillar and the ground, the walls of truth in this generation. I understand that the gospel says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourself is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But in the very next verse, we also know that we are his workmanship. And we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. To intentionally be doing what is right and good and just 
and being the mouthpiece in this day that speaks truth. Amen? And some would say, well, wasn't Jesus just loving all the time? Jesus came here to love. But Jesus loved us enough to speak confrontive truth to the evil leaders of his day. So much so that it offended them to the point that they arrested him and crucified him on a cross. Jesus was not crucified because he was so kind. Hello? He was kind in doing that, but it was his truth speaking that got him arrested. It was saying that Herod was a cruel fox. It was saying that the Pharisees were snakes and whitewashed tombs. It was him saying, there's only one way to God and it's through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That stuff will get you crucified, and it did. When you start being narrow, when you start being restrictive about what truth is, the truth is not your opinion or your opinion or their opinion. Truth is what God says alone, and the matter is black and white. It's all binary. It's all truth. He declares what is true, not us. When you start declaring those things in a culture like ours today, it'll get you in trouble. Amen? Amen? And that's something we have to understand as a church in this day. We must speak, I believe. This is not our time to be silent. We must speak against those who want to kill babies. We must speak against those who reject binary gender design. We must speak against those who want to celebrate and teach our children and grandchildren about the values of transgenderism and homosexuality. We must speak. We must speak against those who want to shut down our churches. We must speak against those who want to take away our religious freedoms. We must speak against those who want to cancel the Bible. We must speak against those who want to make the government God in our day. We must speak against those who want to rewrite our own Christian heritage. We must speak against those who want equity instead of equality and truth. We must speak against those who want to remove medical freedom from us as well. We must speak. We cannot lay down the responsibility of being the pillar and the walls of truth. You and I are not called to be the pebbles and the sand that are washing off the side of the building when the rain comes. Amen? And I believe God is looking for churches who will stand up as pillar and ground of truth. Because those will be the churches that he will do his greatest work in, and those will be the churches that he will move through. And I'm telling you, 
church as a whole in our nation today is being sifted. Sifted and sifted and so many are falling through because they've bought the lies. And I am committed that Vertical Church will stand strong on God's word, declaring the gospel forever. Amen? Amen. Now, when I read scripture, you read scripture, you have to notice that one of the evidences that a church is truly believing these things and walking in them is by what they teach, by what shows up in the lives of the people, and even more specifically, what they, as a people, are teaching the next generation. That's why here at Vertical, we have a children's director for our children's ministry. If you've ever been around Micah Staples, you know the heart she has for children to know and walk in truth. And there's been some times, uh, I've been in some meetings with her, and we'll talk about some uh, events that we we're gonna have here, and someone will say, hey, are we gonna have childcare during that event? And Michael will say, we don't have childcare. We have child training times. Amen? We, she says, we make the most of the time. We're not here just to pass some time. If a parent shows up with a child that comes on our campus, they're going to learn about God's word here. We're going to make the most of that time because we are teaching and training the next generation. Amen? Now, I'm also excited because not only are we doing that in our children's ministry, but we are doing that in our youth ministry as well. We've just brought on a brand new youth director, and I'm excited for what is ahead because I have heard and get to be a part of writing the vision for that ministry. So I want to take a little bit of time here in our service, and I want to introduce to you our youth director, Truett Treadaway, who's going to come talk to you about the vision for student ministry here at Vertical. Truett? I'll move my stuff. All right, so uh, I'm Truett Treadaway, and I, again, as was just stated, I am the youth director here, and um, because I've come in and in the time that we're at in the church and where we are headed, uh, we decided to change the name of the youth group and uh, look again at the vision statement and um, put, put it into today's times and have a good direction that we're trying to go. So... Uh, that's kind of the point of, of where we're at right now. We, we, wanna, we want students to be getting from one place to the next with, with, a, with a vision and with a direction and not just staying stagnant with where they're at. So we want them also driven by the spirit, driven by the word, and driven by the community that they're in. So we have gone with the name of Driven Youth Ministry, yeah. which is super yeah. great. So again, that idea of not being driven by yourself and not, not just living for your own self, but being driven by the Spirit and being driven by the Word and what we learn from it. So the youth vision statement, I'll just go ahead and go over it real quick. 
says the youth ministry at Vertical Church is raising up a generation that is driven to own their responsibility for pursuing God, base their lives on the foundation of the Bible, confidently know God's direction, and embrace their role as influencers and leaders in the culture. Amen. So this is a training for life. This is not just a training just, just one way through, but even whenever you get to the end of it, it says embrace their role as influencers and leaders in the culture. That goes right back onto the next. It goes back to owning their responsibility for pursuing God. As an influencer and leader, now I go and tell other people, here, you own your responsibility for pursuing God. And then they base their lives on the Bible and confidently know God's direction and then embrace their role as influencers. This is not just a one time through, here's your phase during high school, middle school, but this is life training. We want them going on and on and on and making an impact on other people and their families. And um, again, as the church, we are here to assist the family. And so we want this to go back to the parents as well. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get parents involved and letting them know what we're teaching their students so they can talk about it in their own homes. And so it's not just, oh, here's, here's church, here's family, but it's together. And it's, it's being talked about within their own homes. It's not a separate thing at all. And another thing is we want them to be developing their own thoughts and ideas from the Bible, as in basing their lives and then knowing what God says to them. Here's where you go. Here's how you're driven. And again, they go and be influencers and um, leaders in their culture. So another thing that we really want to develop, uh, we want to develop the habit of asking questions. We want them to not just even ask questions, but find answers for that as well. So directly with those four points of own, base, confidently know, and embrace, we're going to be asking these questions in this upcoming uh, series we're going to do here in the youth. Uh, the first question being, when am I responsible for pursuing God on my own? The second being, why should I use my Bible? The third being, what is God's will for my life? And fourth, who is influencing me? So these are the general questions that we want every student to know. I know the answer to that. And I want other people can ask me and I will give them a confident answer. And I know what God has in my life for me. And here's how it applies in my life now. Here's how I share it at school. Here's how I talk about it with my friends. Here's how I talk about it in my family. We want all of them to have answers to these questions and again, develop the habit of asking questions and finding answers from the Bible, not just finding answers on Google or finding answers from their friends, but finding answers from the Bible, from the church, which all our volunteers are going to be biblically based, giving biblical answers and not just opinions or thoughts or feelings. Um, so again, more upcoming youth events that we would love to share with y'all. So on Sunday nights, we meet up here at the church. We meet in the Main Street Center from 6 to 730 Tonight is the fall kickoff, um, so definitely want to be there. We'll have a cookout, and we'll have some fun games. We'll have all sorts of fun stuff, but that being uh, the first thing, Sunday nights here at the church, and then we're going to start up Wednesday nights in homes. So it'll be 6 to 8 o'clock in host homes uh, here in the area, and we're going to have that more of a time in which we can intentionally pour into the students. I know whenever I was in the youth and uh, whenever I was helping out with Matt and the youth, whenever we had uh, the Wednesday in-home Bible studies, it was absolutely powerful. And now even some of the leaders or volunteers that are helping me out are the ones that I talked with on the Wednesday nights back in the Bible studies, which is really awesome seeing how that goes on as well. Uh, and then on through the, through the week, uh, we want to do a daytime Bible class, which is going to be taught by both me and Lucas. We're going to be... Um, exchanging weeks, and we're going to be teaching 
things like how to have a biblical worldview and what are other worldviews around. And so we want to talk about the new age, the whole woke theology, all of um, Islamic theology and all that stuff as well, and be able to explain here's what the Bible has to say about that. Here's what Christianity stands. How do these contrast? How do we find the truth and go? And how do we even witness to those people? Uh, those are important things we need to know, we have to know. Uh, and so some other events that we want to do is help out at the North Ellis County Outreach out here in Red Oak. Uh, it's absolutely great time. We did that back whenever I was in high school uh, and even elementary. And then we want to have a winter retreat. And uh, we love doing events here at Vertical, especially in the youth. The events have always been really successful. We have large uh, group turnouts and then we're able to pour intentionally into them. And they, they really receive um, the truth whenever you're set aside from the chaos of life and you're able to set aside distractions, set away phones, and, and really intentionally pursue God as we go back to the first point, owning the responsibility for pursuing God. You get to do that in your own um, set-apart place. Uh, so we love winter retreats and, and summer camp, the same thing as well. But other fun things we want to do, we want to have a kickball night, dodgeball nights, and even another thing we talked about, a junior-senior late night, which would be really fun. It'd be here at any of the worship center, or maybe we'd go out into the campus and um, have times where we can really have a fun time with the juniors and seniors, but also pour into them specifically. We want them, we want even the youth in general to know that we care for them. You can have fun as a Christian. It's not, you don't have to just sin to have fun. Uh, but we, wanna, we want that to be uh, a huge thing for the youth. But right now, we, have, we had a volunteer meeting this last Wednesday night, and we had 10 volunteers, which is yeah. awesome. We've never had that many of the youth group. Yeah. So it's great, and they're all solid volunteers. But again, with all of these upcoming youth events, there's always room for more volunteers. We'd love to have you get you set on some schedules, you know, either... Here, can you come serve for this series or these couple weeks or something along those lines? But uh, we really want to, we want that to be huge for the students to see that other adults and other people uh, that are older than them are also confirming the fact that yes, Christianity is true. Here's how it applies in my life. Here's my testimony. Here's my testimony of how God changed my life. This is why you ought to believe this way as well. So. My passion, my absolute passion, I would say, is found from this verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For the youth, and for, this is for, again, the 7th to 12th grade, this range, due to the situations in which this world is and the way people are taught now, by the time you're in seventh grade, you are, you are not a child anymore. You've been exposed to some crazy stuff and you've been taught some crazy things. And especially just with how today's world is, it's so polarizing that everyone is being, in a sense, forced to make a decision on where do you stand? Where do you stand? Why do you stand for it? So we want, we want students to give up their childish thinking because it really has already been taken away from them. So we want to equip them with biblical truths, with reasoning, with logic, with being able to back up what they have experienced and say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? How am I supposed to engage these people back? And what, how do I have answers? What, what do I do whenever I'm you know, being questioned and all sorts of things like that? We, 
we want to recognize that like we need to have a way higher standard of of uh, knowledge in the Bible, and um, that that is what will continue students coming back here and continue them to make an impact uh, in in their own schools and communities and families. So that that is really what it is. We're raising up a generation that is that is being taught absolute truth and is being taught life skills that carry on throughout life. They don't just end after high school, after they leave the youth group. And it's not, again, even like Micah was saying, you know, we don't just babysit your kids for, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, but we want, we want students to walk away and say, I know the truth. I'm excited for this week in school and I want to live this out. That is our passion. If we can have students doing that, amazing. Yeah. Again, I would say students are being forced to make decisions that they don't even have any clue on what they're supposed to make or what they're supposed to answer, how they're supposed to answer it. So we want to be asking those questions that they will be asking, that they may already be asking, and we want to provide them answers as well. So that is, I would say, the main heart of the youth ministry. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen. So as we put all this together today, for us then, even as adults, what do we do? What are we to do as those who are now called the pillar and the ground of truth? In the Old Testament, Elisha stood before the people of God on a similar day. On a day when they had lost much of their influence, in a day in which they had lost much of their faith, in a day in which there were two options that stood before them. They could follow the one true God or they could follow the world's God. And there was such a pull and they were leaning in the direction of the world. And Elisha stood before them and it says this in 1 Kings 18, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long are you gonna dance back and forth how long are you going to bob and weave between these two and keep trying to play them both? Keep trying to play the Christian side and keep trying to play the world side. How long are you going to keep doing that? And Elijah drew the line and he said, if the Lord is God, follow him. Amen. Amen. And if Baal is God, follow him. Make your choice. Pick a side. You're going to have to choose. You can't keep dancing between the two. God won't bless your dance in the middle. He blesses when you plunge yourself fully in faith to him. One of the saddest verses in this story, though, is what follows. Elijah makes this impassioned plea. And it says next, the people answered him not a word. They were stuck. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do. What happened next was the most powerful demonstration of God for those people. I think we stand at that place today. We are not in Kansas anymore. Praise God, we're in Texas, though. Amen. But look, it's time. 
It's time to decide. It's time to pick a side. If God is God, follow him. Give your life to him. Follow Jesus completely. Confess your sins. Repent of your life. Turn and follow him only. If you think there's another God, God help you. God help you. I can't even say go follow him. I can't. God is God. Follow him. That's the only option. This is our day to be the church. The house of God. The church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of truth. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we stand before you today, leveled by your holiness, your call, humbled that you would choose to put your spirit inside us, that you would choose to call us together as your people and as gathered people, call us your home and then give us a purpose together. Today, God, we respond and say, we will rise up. We will stand. We will be pillars and walls of conviction and faith and hope and obedience. We will be your church. We will stand. We will proclaim what is right and true. We will proclaim salvation We will lift up the name of Jesus. We will call sinners to repentance. And we will be your church. God, we ask you, lead us. You are the head. We are the body. And to you, we submit ourselves today to join the movement that you are leading. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.